Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. One of the functions of our modern age is that we have more awareness of the problems of the world than we've probably ever had before. Like, if there's an invasion in Ukraine, for a lot of us, we could barely find Ukraine on a map, right? We're like, that's over there somewhere between Russia, Europe, I don't know, it's kind of over there. And it happens, and then it, it gets... Um, in, in our feed, it, it, it gets in our awareness, like constantly, like people are live tweeting destruction and battles and fighting and all this sort of thing going on. And think about how unusual that is in the history of the world, how we're able to somehow visually or in other ways engage a battle going on the other side of the world. If this was the 1940s where there's literally a world war going on, the only way you and I would really know what's going on or have any connection to it is if we happened to go to a movie on a Friday night and they showed a newsreel before the movie where they gave you update on the progress of the war. That, that was kind of it. And if you didn't do that, you weren't getting that much information. Maybe the papers would give you, would give you some. But now in our culture, we are aware of all of the problems all of the time. Everything that's going on in the world is being tweeted and, you know, Instagrammed and whatever and, like, put on your feed and there's a call to action and it's a lot. There's, you know, the, uh, the, the human trafficking problems and there's, there's wars and there's pandemics and there's issues around climate change and all of these things happening. And it's no wonder we're anxious, right? Like, the cognitive load of all of that, I don't know that the human brain was meant to hold all of those problems all of the time, and, and really to have the level of awareness of the globe that, that we now currently have. It's, it's, it's a major challenge. In fact, a couple of generations ago, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote this about that kind of idea. He said, I think each village was meant to feel, feel pity for its own sick and poor, whom it can help and I doubt if it is the duty of any private person to fix his mind on ills which he cannot help. This may even become an escape from the works of charity we really can do to those we know. God may call any of us to respond to some faraway problem or support those who have been so called, but we are finite and he will not call us everywhere or to support every worthy cause. And real needs are not far from us. C.S. Lewis, a generation, generations ago, was sort of predicting this idea of what we call slacktivism, like it's where we can kind of look like we care, but, but by, by focusing on something way out there that doesn't personally affect us without ever getting our hands dirty, without ever getting into the issue. And so I want, I want to talk about this idea because I do believe what Lewis said there, I, I do believe that real needs are not far from us. We don't have to go halfway around the world. There are things going on here in our own backyard. And specifically today, I want to talk about the idea of, as has already been mentioned, the idea of foster care and adoption. 
And this is an issue that's near to my heart. It's something my wife and I uh, started getting engaged in in 2011. So I've been around this a while, and, and not just personally in our own home, but we started trying to rally and motivate other churches and believers around the city to come together around this issue because we felt like this is something that's near to the heart of God, not just on our hearts, but this is something God cares about and, and cares about uh, people who are, who are, who are hurting. Um, and so let me, let me make it real to you and help you understand and hopefully not overwhelm you with it, okay? Because if you look at kids without, uh, with, without parents or uh, globally or in a generation gone by, they might use the word orphan. Um, if you use that word now in America with modern like social workers, they, they get like, you can't say that word. But that's a, that is a word that has been used to describe this. And they would say, hey, there's 27 million of those worldwide. That's too big of a number. We can't focus on that. If you just said in America, how many kids do not have um, parents at home or, or, or not with their birth families? Uh, it's it's a, several hundred thousand is the number. And so uh, that's, again, too big. I can't even really conceive of numbers like that. If you just break it down to Virginia, you go, okay, in Virginia, there are 5,000 kids in the foster care system. What this means is there are 5,000 kids who, through no fault of their own, um, are removed from their home. Uh, Oftentimes, um, mom and dad, maybe someone ends up in jail or there's drug problems or there's just challenges in the home and kids are not removed from their home because everything is going well. There's something, there's a breakdown there in the home and it is, it is dangerous. And so kids are taken from their home and they're not living with their parents. The, the hope is that they, they go live with foster families, parents who are willing to step up and, and help raise these kids. The hope is that they can be reunited with their biological parents, that mom and dad can get the help that they need and that the families can be reunited. Um, that doesn't always happen, though. Out of the 5,000 kids that are in the foster care system right now in Virginia, 1,600 of them are never going to go back and live with their biological parents for various reasons, which means 1,600 of them are legally free to actually be adopted from the foster care system, which means a family would step up and, and take a teenager or a 10-year-old or a 4-year-old and say, um, we want to bring you into our family and raise you um, as, as, as our own. But those numbers are still big, right? 5,000, uh, 1,600 in Virginia, uh, that's still a lot. Um, but I can make the numbers even smaller. Uh, every year, 500 of those kids age out of the system. They turn 18 and they are not um, with a, a, a family. They're not connected to a family. So they age out of the system and they become legal adults. Uh, and if you needed a sign from God about that on your way in, if you came here on 195, right by Top Golf, uh, there's a, a big billboard right now. It is a sign from God. It says, hey, RVA, 500 kids age out of foster care every year, something like that. Um, and so there are other people pointing this out to us. It's there. It's, it's there. Of the kids who age out, the, 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 the prospects are not good. Uh, there's a lot of, if you look at a lot of challenges in society as we think about, oh, struggles in the city or whatever, um, a, a lot of these kids can fall prey to some pretty rough stuff. In fact, here's some statistics. Kids who age out of foster care, one in four will not graduate from high school. One in two will become homeless. 50% will become homeless. One in two will struggle with substance abuse. 60% are victims of sex trafficking. And two out of three girls become pregnant outside of a healthy relationship. So of those 500 that age out, it, it, it's, not, it's not a good picture. 250 of them are going to become homeless or uh, have substance abuse. But even 250 as a number 
is too big for us. It's, it's too big to get your head around. You're like, that's, that's just like a lot of kids. And, and, I, and, and all of these numbers and all of the situation can become very overwhelming. And if you're like me, you can hear all of these numbers and hear this stuff and go, yeah, I know that's important, but man, I don't know. I, I think I'm just going to watch Netflix. Like I, I just, I can't with, with these big numbers. So here's the good news. When we think about our faith and what God calls us to do, he does not give us numbers like that. He doesn't say, oh, there's millions of kids and you need to step up and there's 500, that, are like, that, that, that stuff's not in the scripture, right? Those are just, that's just data points of our current culture. God actually calls us to a number that is much, much smaller. You may remember this about six weeks or so I was teaching and we talked about this parable in Matthew 25 of the sheep and the goats. And there are these people that God separates the people between the sheep and the goats at the end times. And, and he rewards those who have visited him in prison and, and fed him when he was hungry and given him clothes to eat. And the people's response, those who are rewarded by God, their response is, Lord, when did we ever visit you in prison? When did we, when did we help you like that? When did we give you clothes or give you food to eat? And if you remember his response the king in the parable, Matthew 25, verse 40, it says this, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Not 27 million, not 5,000, not 1,600, not 500, not 250. As you did it to one, you have done it to me. There it is. Can you make an impact on one kid? That is doable. And it actually scales well. It even scales well within the church. I tried to get a a, a good number of the amount of churches that there are in Virginia, and it's hard to nail it down if you think about every rural town you've been through and a little church there by the side of the road. It's hard to get a good count. But the best number I found was there are 10,869 churches in Virginia, which means if there are 1,600 kids waiting to be adopted out of the foster care system, that is one kid for every five churches. So it's not like everybody in the room has to do everything for everybody, right? Or, or even everybody has to do everything for one kid. If one out of even every five churches said we, will, we have a family that we will support and they will adopt someone from the foster care system, the 1,600 would be, would be gone uh, quickly, if you if if we could just do that, um, so this actually works. That's the scope of the issue. But I want to talk about what Scripture actually says about it, and not just tell you the numbers game because it's 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 more than that. The Scripture that most commonly is used in foster care and adoption circles, especially with churches, is from the Book of James, and it's James chapter one, verse twenty-seven. I want to read it to you. We'll put it up on the screen. It says this: Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, a lot of us read that and think of it like it's a command. You have to do this. It's a command from God. Step up for widows and orphans and all that stuff. Um, It's not a command. The the, the language of it isn't even a command. It is more like a description. People who are faithful to God, people who are acting out on their faith, um, it's going to look kind of like this. 
This is more like a result of faithfulness rather than a, a command, you have to go do that. In fact, the whole book of James where this is pulled from has this theme of you have faith, that's good, but you have to do something. There needs to be action associated with your faith. James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, so what that you believe? There's got to be more. Demons believe in God. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Are you going to do anything with what you believe? James 1.22, be, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So James 1.27 is not a command from God. It's, it's more like a description of a, of a, a certain life or a way of being, or, or maybe you could say it this way. It's more like a proof. It is proof that something has happened in your life. Let me unpack that for you. If you look at, the ver- if you look at this kind of section by section, this verse, it starts, it says, the first word is religion. Religion that, that, that is pure and undefiled. It says religion. Um, when we think of religion, we think of rituals. You think of a steeple. You think of communion crackers. We think of singing. We think of kneeling and praying and stand up and sit down and, and all of and robes and all of that stuff. That is religion, the way we think of it typically in this country. But the way James is using it, it's actually pointing towards more like a, an outward expression of your faith, a demonstration of, of your faith, and, and demonstration, a demonstration of something that is inwardly true. It is something we show on the outside about who we actually are on the inside. In fact, that word demonstration is used to talk about God, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is religious to us. He shows what is inside him in, in that he dies for us. Um, that, that is being religious. Um, so it, uh, maybe another way of saying James 1.27 is this. A demonstration of authentic faith. That's religion. A demonstration of authentic faith. And then it says that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. Pure and uh, undefiled are, are basically synonymous. It's, it's, it's saying things like um, faultless, unblemished, spotless, pure, clean, that kind of idea. In fact, the Greek word for pure gets translated to the English word catharsis. And we think of that, uh, something is cathartic, we mean that emotionally or psychologically we have been cleansed, that we are, we are free from something when something is cathartic. And, and so this is getting at that, or, or we even use the word, it's the root of the word catheter, which is a tube we would insert in the body in order to remove fluids that are toxic or dangerous to us. So the idea that, that, that this genuine faith that it, um, has this cleansing effect on us, that we can have a faith that is pure, um, that, that somehow in, in what he's describing, there is a, a cleansing that happens with us. Um, so so uh, what he's going to describe, there's this outward expression of faith. It's religious in a sense, but it's, it's, uh, and it's a demonstration of our faith, but it's also an inward cleansing in its application. Now, he's not commanding us to do it. He's inviting us to be something, not commanding us to do, but inviting us to be something. Be the kind of people that are so changed by the gospel, that are so changed by what God has demonstrated and what he has done for us, that it overflows in very pure and, and very vivid ways. Um, now the word undefiled is weird. 
Um, I, don't, I, I can't remember the last time I used that in everyday language. You probably haven't either. Let's try saying it this way. A demonstration of authentic faith that is pure and genuine before God the Father. And then it says this. Is this to visit? It says the word visit. Now, we think of visit as I'm going to drop by. Oh, I just stopped by to visit. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an in and out quick thing, right? But the New Testament doesn't always use the word that way. In fact, Luke 168, in talking about Jesus coming to earth, listen to what it says. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. This isn't God just dropped by. This is God came close to us. There was nearness there. God to, uh, came took on the form of humanity, comes in the form of Jesus, visits us in our brokenness, and our broken stuff broke him for our sins. So there's like this whole thing that happens when God visits. It's not just, I stopped by. There's this, it's deeper than that. There's this nearness there. We believe that the gospel, the gospel teaches us that Jesus, God sees us in our messed up world, and he says, I'm coming for you. I will, I will come see you. Uh, the language here is to give like intense attention to and, and, and go see. The word, the word for visit here, it, it calls us to um, a habitual practice, not isolated charity or like some isolated do-goodism. Uh, say it this way, it's less about what we do periodically and more about who we are consistently. Or maybe, maybe you've heard this quote. I love it. You can pretend to care, but you can't pretend to show up. That's getting at it. That's getting at visit here. It means consistently who you are. You are someone who shows up. For who? Well, let's read it again. A dem- so we could translate the verse this way. A demonstration of authentic faith that is pure and genuine before God the Father is this. To keep showing up for... And then it says widows or orphans and widows in their affliction. Keep in mind that this is a descriptive verse, not a prescriptive verse. It's not saying this is exactly who you have to show up for. It's saying the kind of life that is overflowing with faith will show up for people like this. Well, who's he talking about? Well, in, in the first century, orphans and widows are going to be the outcasts of society. If you have no husband or no father, the fatherless or the husbandless, um, you do not have good prospects. You're not going to leave a legacy. You're not, you're not going to be wealthy. These, kind of, these are the push to the margins kind of people in the ancient world. And so when James says, this is who you should show up for, he's naming the, margin, the people in the margins of his culture. Now, if we were to go to James today and say, but wait, you said widows and orphans. What about victims of sex trafficking? What about the poor? What about the homeless? What about people in prison? God, James, James, I care about those other people. Aren't they, the, aren't they, you know, in trouble too? Shouldn't we be religious towards them? Shouldn't we show up for them? James is not going to be like, nope, I said widows and orphans only. It's what I was talking about. You guys miss it every time. It was very clear. No. The point is, he would say, yes, run to the people who are hurting in his culture That's who it was. And guess what? It's still there in our culture as well. They're still hurt when people fall into those situations. And James would say, go towards those people. Um, They are those people who are hurting. Those are our people. 
in, in, the, in the church. I think this, when we do that, when we move towards the hurting, there, there's, there's almost nothing we can do that puts God's heart on display like that. So again, this verse, a demonstration of authentic faith that is pure and genuine before God the Father is this, to keep showing up for people who are hurting and alone. And then it says this, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. When this verse is preached in churches or when it's talked about in Christian circles, we always leave that last line off. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Because it reads like, Show up for widows and orphans. That's what we're here for. We're doing a rally. We're going to talk about widows and orphans today. That's what we're about, social care. Also, keep yourself unstained from the world. Don't really know what that means. Don't worry about it. That's another thing. It's a separate issue. It's in the same verse, y'all. It's got to be connected somehow. There's something going on there. And maybe we don't preach it because we're not sure of the connection. But I think if you go back to this cleansing, this pure and undefiled idea, I think it should be clear to us this. Our... Our participation in this kind of work, something about that cleanses us as well. Something about caring for people who are on the margins and hurting does good things for us. And psychologists will tell you that, right? If you are stuck and hurt and frustrated and anxious and all these things, one recommendation would be go start doing something for someone else. There's something about that that pulls you out of yourself and, and can actually change you and, and make you, you healthier. Um, I mean, who's got time to be stained by the world when you're so busy caring for the hurting around you? There's something about this kind of work that changes everything for the better. Um, it, it, it obviously as we get involved, it obviously helps the kids that are in the foster care system. It helps us as we, as we uh, it, there's some sort of cleansing that goes on with this and, and helps us take our focus off of ourselves and puts the outward, it helps us to lean into the heart of God, something that matters to him and those who are hurting. Um, it also grows us into a deeper faith. I actually heard the story, I think I maybe have told this story once, but uh, years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, uh, I went to a conference that was being led by a pastor named Andy Stanley. If you don't know who he is, he's a pretty well-known pastor in America. He's down in Atlanta because it's Atlanta and they have massive churches everywhere. Um, and so he, was, he came and spoke at this conference in Charlotte and I was down there and he's talking to a room of about a thousand pastors. And he talked about how sometimes people will say to him, um, the, the, um, your, your preaching's not deep enough. Now, if you've heard his sermons, maybe you would say that, maybe you wouldn't. I always get a lot out of when I listen to him teach. Um, but uh, that criticism, your sermons are not deep enough, I've heard at every church everywhere that I've ever been connected to or known people at. I mean, it is just a common thing people say. And so his response to these folks really surprised me. He said, yeah, some people come to me and say, uh, I need more, your sermons need to be deeper. And he said, you don't want deep, you want Greek words. You want things that are confusing so that you can walk away and think about it and then think that that's deep and just call it deep. Oh, yeah, that was, whoa, that was really challenging. I, was like, I don't even know what to think about that. Like, he said, if you really want deep and you really want to grow in your faith, try foster care. I almost fell out of my seat. Like, that was not what the conference was about. I was like, did he just say that? Because I've thought that. 
But I was like, here he told a whole group of pastors, yeah, you want to challenge people to deepen their faith? Try foster care. Because there's something about that that will change your prayers. It'll change your sense of dependence. It'll change what you think you know about what you know. And, and that has been my experience as well. My wife and I got trained to be foster parents in 2011, and we did that for four years. And it'll mess with you. It is uh, challenging, hard. Um, there, were, there were great things about it. There were very sad things about it. And, and it feels out of control. And it feels very inconvenient. But here's the deal. Character is not built by convenience. Parents, write that down for your teenagers. Put it on the fridge. Character is never built by convenience. There's a depth that comes when we engage the hard stuff. It's a, it's a benefit when we do this, when we do this kind of work. It's a benefit to the kids in the system. It's a benefit to us. And I think it's a benefit to the church overall when we engage in this. I don't know about you, but especially with a lot of pro-life issues kind of swirling around with Roe v. Wade and all that this year, um, the criticism is always brought against people who claim to be pro-life. The criticism, you know, you know what you're going to hear if you say I'm pro-life. Um, you're going to hear a criticism where people will say, you only care about people who are not born. Why don't you start caring about people who give birth and provide help for mothers and babies and all of that thing. And I've always heard that criticism as if to say, you're only pro-birth, you're not pro-all of life, you know. I've heard that, you've heard that, but I always, the rebuttal I always think of when people say that, and I rarely say it, but the rebuttal I always think of is, you know what, in America, Christians or people who identify as Christians adopt kids from the foster care system at a rate of two to one over people who don't. So if Christians are the ones out talking about pro-life things, they are actually backing this up with life issues beyond just birth. We're not perfect. If you want to criticize the church, capital C, or even this church specifically, if you want to criticize the church, I get it. There's a lot of, of things to criticize, and it's a big, global, easy target. But as I look across the city here and see this around the country and even around the world, there are a lot of Christians stepping into this work and getting it done. I'm not saying they're the only people getting it done, but percentage-wise, they're a big portion of, of who's getting this kind of work done and getting involved. It is Christian people. I see it when I go, I go to networks of, uh, uh, around adoption and foster care in the city, and you see, you come here, and I can point you to several churches around the city that are all working together to try to affect this issue just in the city of Richmond. It's, it's powerful, and I sit in those meetings, and I think about those people who, like, you pro-life people don't care about anything but birth, and I'm like, nah, it's, it's here. This is a room full of people working on it. I've had a similar experience in a, a room of about 20 people who are working on Afghan uh, resettlement and refugee care. Churches, Christians, trying to figure out how do we come around people who have moved here as our neighbors? How do we do this? Again, Christians aren't the only ones doing this in society, but we are doing a large portion of it. So I think getting involved in this stuff um, is good for the kids, it's good for us, and it's a benefit to the church and its reputation um, overall. So sum up, to sum it up this way, um, we are called by God to visit widows and orphans in their affliction. And when we do, it's better for them, it's better for us, it's better for a whole society. Um, so what are you going to do about that? When I, when I teach, I always want to have a very broad application to what I'm saying because I know not everybody is going to 
run out and sign up to be trained at a foster care agency and, and all that. And I, and I don't want to waste people's time and feel like, oh, that really didn't matter to me at all. Um, but I don't want you to walk out of here and think, I can't do anything. You can do something. And so the question is on the video we showed you at the beginning, what's your something? What is the thing that you can do? Number one is this. Pray for kids to find their forever homes. When you came in, you got a card, and that is a card with a picture and some words about a kid who is in the foster care system right now who is legally free to be adopted. I gave you that card because I want you to pray for that kid. Just pray for that kid for maybe now through the end of the year that something would move in someone's heart and that that kid could find a forever home. If he's not going to be reunited with his parents, his biological parents, that he would he or she would, would find their way into uh, a, a, a family who would love and care for them, like some of the kids we saw on, on the video we showed you earlier. So everybody can do this. Everybody can pray and at least put this issue in their minds and go, okay, there's something here. There's something going on. I can't be ignorant of these kids. I can't pretend this doesn't exist in our world. It's here. It's very close. You can pray. You can start there. Number two, look for ways to help. Um, this coming Friday, we are doing a, an event called Foster Family Night Out, and it is for foster parents. We are going to give them gift cards. Many of you have contributed to those gift cards. We are giving them gift cards to go out to dinner, and they're going to drop their kids at 2810, and a bunch of people are going to come and volunteer and play with kids and hang out and play board games and video games and cook, make s'mores and have pizza and all of that. We're going to have a, 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 a multi-hour gathering with kids from in the foster care system while their parents go out and have a dinner on us, basically, is the way it's going to work. And it's going to be fun. And uh, a bunch of you have already stepped up to be involved, and I think it's amazing, and I just want to say thank you, because um, we need people to give a gift card, we need people to, um, to, to show up that night and serve and, and hang out with these kids. Um, so that's going to be great. There are opportunities like that that come up, and we want to let you know when they, when they, are, when they happen. So that, that is a way to get involved, is something like that. But even in addition to that, there's a lot of talk in churches and, and there's a lot of programs being built for wraparound services. So if you have a family in your church that does foster care adoption, and we have several families in this church doing this, if there's a family and you go, man, that's amazing, they do that, I can't do that, what you could do is come around that family and offer them meals uh, when a new kid comes into their home or if they have a need for clothes or toys or whatever. Um, we went through this where we had done foster care for boys and then we decided to bring a girl into our home. We don't have girl toys. We don't have any of that girl stuff. We were like, what do we do with girls? You know, my wife's the only one in the house, you know, now the dog. But we just didn't, we had just no idea, you know. And, and families came around us and like, oh, we've got girl toys. We've got girl clothes. We've got, and, and so they helped us out. You could step up and say, I want to be a support for people who are, in, who are doing this within, within our church. Um, so that's another way to, to be involved. And then a third way would be this, uh, you could become a foster parent. There's a, a training, it's about 24 hours long, um, there's, uh, that they do, uh, ours when we did it was four hours on a Tuesday night for six weeks. Um, some of them do them like an all day thing, there's just different versions of it now that, that you can do. Um, but you could become a foster parent and you could say, hey, I'm going to engage in this right, right there Right, right on the front line of this thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be there, um, and that's, it's hard. I know several families who are going through it right now, uh, through the training, and it's, it's amazing. It's hard uh, having someone 
do a home study on you and look at the ins and outs of your home and your life and your marriage and all these things if you're married and, and, and all this stuff. You've got you to answer a lot of questions. There's a, lot of, there's a ton of paperwork. There's a lot of things you've got to do. But um, that can be a, an amazing thing. And maybe some of you are called to do that. Maybe this is God giving you a sign. I want to put a QR code up on the screen. Uh, and this is the only time in church I will ask you to take out your phone because I hate phones. Um, but I will right now to say, um, scan that code. We'll leave it up for a minute. Scan that code, um, and it'll take you to a form where you could say, hey, I'd like to get involved, and it'll give you a whole bunch of options of things you could check and say, let me get involved in this way or this way. Maybe it's just to find out more information, and we will follow up with you and try to connect you to the right spot. We have experienced foster parents in the church and we can get you together. We could do a little forum if we have enough interest. We could get together and say, hey, this is what this is actually like on the ground. This is what it was like in our family. And you can, you can hear uh, about that. We could do that. We have training, support, um, different ways to connect. You, you uh, grab that QR code and just, or if you just say, hey, I'm going to pray and I'm committing to that here on, the, on this thing, that would be, that would be cool. Um, lastly, I'll leave you with this. Mother Teresa... Um, she, you know, a lot of people saw what Mother Teresa did in India and they said, and a lot of people would come to her and say, I want to move to Calcutta and work with you. And, you know, you can imagine that would get a little bit annoying. Like, like look, I got, I got people aplenty here and I got a lot of work to do. Um, I can't find housing for you or whatever. Um, and so... At, at some point, she, she said this about it. She said, stay where you are. Find your own Calcutta. Find the sick, the suffering, and the lonely right where you are in your own homes, in your own families, in homes, in your workplaces, in your schools. You can find Calcutta all over the world if you have eyes to see. Everywhere, wherever you go, you find people who are unwanted, unloved, uncared for, just rejected by society, completely forgotten, completely left alone. And I think that's a challenge for us to find your own Calcutta. Find the place, the needs that are close by in our city, in our village. Find those and engage there. Make a difference for one here. And in making a difference for one, you will find that you are actually serving Jesus himself. Let's pray. Lord, this is one of those problems that can be big and overwhelming and there's just so much there. But I pray that um, we engage. We lean in. We look at um, what is really happening around us. We have eyes open and we just engage in love and serve in any way that we can. Lord, I pray if someone's um, feeling the pull to become a foster parent that they will take some next steps and, and learn and and. For those who are not, I pray that we just step up and pray and we wrap around and, and come around those who are and we do what we can to, um, to get involved right here. God, may we never be the kind of people who would just get overwhelmed by global problems and anxious and, and never channel that into real work in the local level. Um, God, I, you call us to this. Um, may, may we engage it wherever we are. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.